Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. This is your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studio from South Bend, Indiana, is the one and only Ken Hellenius, the the man who helped send the first probe to Saturn. Uh, how you doing, Ken? <laughs> I am well, Deacon. How are you this fine uh, evening? I'm doing great. Thank you, Ken, for asking. I appreciate it very much. So where have you been lately? Because you're the uh, the ever-traveling Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, evangelist to the stars and to and to every one of us. Where have you been, friend? <laughs> well, in the last few weeks, uh, Eucharistic Congress in North Carolina, uh, then a marriage retreat in uh, McKinney, Texas, doing a, a retreat for deacons in the Diocese of Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, my gosh. And uh, coming up here is a parish mission in uh, Manhattan, Kansas. And then I will be on the East Coast in uh, the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Coast to coast and everywhere in between. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, it's a joy to be with you again tonight. And, you know, honestly, I know I've said this countless times before, but one of the one of the highlights of my week is getting to sit here in the uh, in the virtual studios and see you uh, through technology. But to be able to spend this time to really kind of dig a little deeper into our faith uh, and into the, the wonderful richness of the church's teaching. And over the last number of weeks, we've been discussing one of the most um, important documents of the 20th century uh, that even now, 50 years later, uh, has a tremendous um, relevancy for our situation. And that is, of course, Pope St. Paul VI's document, Humanae Vitae, on the regulation of births and human life. Uh, And so this came out, of course, in 1968, 50 years ago. And uh, we have been discussing it for the last couple of weeks, and we're picking up our conversation at the very end of Section 2, Paragraph 18. And so, uh, so that's where we're at in our conversation so far. You know, what's been interesting for, for me is um, because we've been doing this show, I've been making a concerted effort to talk about Humanae Vitae in my homilies ah. that I've been uh, giving. And uh, so the, the the part I've been focusing on as far as a, from a homiletic perspective are, and we talked about this already, the predictions mm-hmm. um, that Pope Paul VI made. And, and it's interesting when I, when I, after Mass, when I'm greeting people, and they'll either say, oh, gosh, you know, I forgot about those. You know, he was so right. Or so, or obviously this next generation of young people saying, well, I never even knew that, right. you know, that he even said that, man. Why? He said that back like 50 years ago. And it's like it's it's coming true or something. I'm like, yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's just it's incredible to, to see this kind of next generation absorb the the, the uh, church's teaching in this area. And, and to see how way back ago the wisdom of the church Sometimes I think people uh, uh, can be put off by the fact that when it comes to human birth and, and, and things, uh, we're talking about human sexuality, it's a bunch of celibate men making it, in a sense <laughs> making rules. But what they're doing is they're, they're safeguarding, defending the constant teaching of the church. You know, yeah. and uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually grateful to be able to uh, incorporate some of this uh, wonderful material into the homilies and, uh, 
again, a wonderful refresher for some people and and a, and a mind opening experience for others. Yeah, so I know. Uh, a lot a lot of good is coming and still coming from this incredible document. I couldn't agree with you more. I know uh, reading this uh, in preparation for our conversations. Um, kind of reading it again. You know, I read this in college first and and now here 15 years later reading it again. And now that I'm a married man and kind of thinking about it in terms of relationship. And one of the things that I've greatly appreciated, as you say, you know, uh, Pope St. Paul VI talked about uh, kind of predictions on on what would happen if we embraced a contraceptive mentality. And that, of course, we talked a lot about last week. It's especially uh, uh, prevalent and presented in paragraph 17 of this document. Um, and I thought that the, the key one that is so, um, so obvious in our day and age is this idea that um, he said, men will disregard the reverence due to women and reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires. You know, and this is kind of that um, transactional mentality. The throwaway culture that Pope Francis even talks about is this idea of relationships are not lasting because it's like, what pleasure can I get out of you? And how can you please me? And then I can cast you aside. And so when we hear Pope Francis kind of saying this same thing, this this idea of the throwaway culture, we're hearing echoes of Pope St. Paul VI. And you're so right that the the prophetic nature of humanae vitae is um, is really impressive and what it what it kind of helps underline is the and underscore is the idea that the holy spirit really does guide the church in her teaching especially in her perennial teachings um, where the church stands in defense of uh, god's creation and in defense of the natural law and that's what paul is doing in this document yeah, and one of the things that I appreciate about what uh, Pope Paul VI is doing is providing very clear teaching, um, you know, because there's there was a lot of confusion within the church about uh, this particular issue. And uh, so which is what made this document, you know, quote unquote, controversial. Um, but all he did was present the very clear teaching in the church. And, you know, we're picking up on paragraph 18. And, you know, it's the, the first line here is great. Uh, it, it, Pope Paul VI says, It is to be anticipated that perhaps not everyone will easily accept this particular teaching. Uh, yeah, you think? <laughs> Understatement <laughs> yeah. of the year, maybe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and because there's too much uh, clamorous outcry against the voice of the church. You know, and the the sad part is there was a lot of uh, contentious voices also within the church mm-hmm. when this document mm-hmm. came out that led to not not a schism, but I mean, you know, um, uh, kind of a, a break in the moral. I guess you could say a kind of a moral theology schism, if you will. Yeah. Uh, within the church with two groups kind of encamped and still, in a sense, 50 years later, still encamped one for the teachings of the church and one against um, and, and you even have like the, the Canadian Bishops Conference putting out a statement against this document and and certain theologians and certain bishops. And, you know, um, you know, it just it goes to show you that that sometimes clear teaching, you know, Jesus said mother, mother-in-law against mother-in-law, brother-in-law against brother-in-law, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but Paul, Paul VI is also very clear. He goes, she, meaning the church, does not because of this evade the duty imposed on her of proclaiming humbly but firmly the entire moral law, both natural and evangelical. 
Uh, so I, I love the fact that these, he doesn't, he says we're not shying away from the beauty of the truth here. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the core, right? That is our mission is to proclaim the truths of God's creation and the truths of, of, you know, that lead to salvation. And he says, goes on to say, you know, that the church in doing its job in proclaiming this message, we're not the maker of these laws, but we are merely their guardian and interpreter. And that's, what's so important is that, that, it's this idea we're not you know we heard this in the gospel a few weeks ago right at mass was jesus said you know you know don't well moses in uh, in deuteronomy said you know don't add to the law don't add burdens the church is not adding burdens in this case the church is actually as paul says merely the guardian and interpreter of the natural law Uh, that is built into creation by God. And he says, in preserving intact the whole moral law of marriage, the church is convinced that she is contributing to the creation of a truly human civilization. So this isn't something just for, just for Catholics. This isn't something just for those who can accept it, but this is building a truly human civilization for the entire world. And the church has this responsibility to proclaim the truth about human sexuality. That's true, and uh, in that same in that same vein, uh, the Holy Father says she again the church urges man not to betray his personal responsibilities by putting all his faith in technical expedience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so we, technology is a good thing. The advancement of technology is a good thing, but that can't become our God. We can't put all of our faith just in technology. I mean, look at. Uh, some of the uh, the artificial intelligence you know, or AI technology is coming out now. Some of it's very, very helpful. You know, like this Alexa and, and these different, you know, you could talk to a computer and it talks back to you. Or right. the, Google is developing technology now where where uh, the computer can actually make phone calls for you and set up appointments. I mean, I, I, I heard a demo not too long ago where they were booking airline tickets. Yeah. And it was totally done by the computer. Like, having an actual conversation with a live person setting up a plane reservation. And it was, I was like, wait a minute, that's a computer. I mean, it was just it's incredible the things that we're doing. But sometimes I think um, when we ha- have certain advances in technologies, even the, even biotechnologies that we have a tendency to think that we're playing the part of God. Right. And just because we can do something doesn't mean that we always should. And right. so I think the Paul, Paul, this is putting some cautioning here um, when it comes to the regulation of births that, wait a minute, you know, technology can't uh, surpass our ability to see the humanity in each other. And I think that was going along with what, what, what you were just saying as well. Yeah. Letting the technology get ahead of us and then, you know, cleaning up afterward is the difficult thing. I think about this a lot in even in terms of like in vitro fertilization, right? We can do it. Therefore, we're going to create all of these embryos and then we only need to implant one or two of them and bring them to term. Well, what happens to the other, you know, 20 or 30 that were created in the lab, they get frozen. And then what happens, you know, uh, eventually, well, we've got all these frozen embryos that we didn't use. So let's go ahead and experiment on them. And we begin to deal with the consequences of technology that we've employed because we can. You know, and it's very much a situation, you know, in some ways not dissimilar to because we can split the atom uh, and create a mega mega weapon. Let's use it and we'll deal with the moral consequences later. Paul here is saying in that same vein, 
think about the consequences before we employ the technology and the consequences such as, as he mentioned before, you know, a devaluing of of the um, actual unitive uh, nature of human sexuality, unitive and procreative need to be together. And so uh, this is, again, it is, as as we've said before, it is not is not creating rules. It's it's interpreting and guarding the rules that are built into the natural law by the creator. Exactly. Um, and, and then it's the next section here in paragraph 19 so begins a new section of the document talking about pastoral directives, you know, because what he's done so far, he's kind of laid out uh, a beautiful theology um, of uh, the regulation of human births. Uh, but now that that theology has to meet um, pastoral practice, yeah. it has to become part of the lived experience. You know, which is a beautiful. Again, faith should always do that, though. It should always be a marriage between the head and the heart. You mm-hmm. know, that the things that I'm learning about the faith hitting my heart and becoming part of my everyday lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because often people have an experience of all head or all heart, and but but not making a connection between the both. So what happens is you over intellectualize the faith. It just becomes basically an academic exercise. Um, but it doesn't become part of what you're living um, or it's just all heart. You know, you're, you're not thinking. So, you, you know, so you fall for false teachings or you or you believe that, you know, Mary's appearing like underneath a rock or something like that. Or, or the way the, uh, the sun hits a particular image on a mirror. Oh, Mary, Mary's saying something. I mean, you know, so mm-hmm. or, or things like I'm just using that as an example where it's all just heart. And we're not using our heads to think. Um, you know, uh, intellectually about things as well, but it needs to be a marriage between both. And uh, and this, in beginning in this section, I think this is what Pope Paul the Six is is beginning uh, beginning to do. Yeah. So here, uh, as you say, it's kind of where the rubber hits the road, is the phrase is. You know, it's like okay, we have the principles. Now, how do we apply these in life? And so it begins with here in 19, he acknowledges the church needs to support families in the honest regulation of birth. And it's important that he uses honest in the honest regulation of birth in the face of really difficult situations. Uh, But again, reminding us to do so honestly requires respect for the creator's plans and his designs. So as we apply these principles and as we recognize that there are difficult pastoral situations, we need to do so in light of the principles that we've established. So we can't just say, well, it's nice to have the rules, but they're impossible to live. Therefore, just do what you will and ask forgiveness. That's not at all what uh, Paul is proposing here. And so um, we kind of begin to break this down section by section. And um, the first section is observing the divine law. So paragraph 20. Yeah. And I, I love this. Um, yeah. He says that the teaching of the church regarding the proper regulation of birth is a promulgation of the law of God himself, which he said a number of times now, but because and yet there is no doubt that to many, it will appear not merely difficult, but even possible to observe, you know, because he's already anticipating that people are going to have issues with what he's saying here, you know, uh, but he, but it's God's grace. It's God's grace uh, by which the goodwill of men is sustained and strengthened. And uh, that's something that we always have to remember, especially when we're trying to um, imbibe within us and live out 
the teachings of the church, particularly in the area that we struggle with in our own in our own sinfulness, you know, and in, in our own struggles in our own life. How do we take this teaching and incorporate it? It's uh, the power of God's grace working in us is what uh, enables us uh, in a sense to go beyond or outside of ourselves to be able to elevate our spirituality to another level and to uh, to meet God and to, uh, and to uh, you know, again, uh, walk with God uh, in this journey through life. And it's always by God's grace that helps us to do that. And this is, of course, true in absolutely every temptation that we face, right? Every area of sin, as you said, that we struggle with, it always comes back to conversion happens as a result of our cooperation with God's grace. God wants to pour his grace into our hearts to help us to follow and to model the the law. And the law being this law of uh, in accordance with with you know natural creation and with with his divine will, um, he wants to give us this grace. And so we don't just you know when we are faced with temptation say, well, it's too difficult, and therefore I'm I'm going to give up. Often, you know, the reality is we do sometimes just give up and 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 we commit the sin, um, but. As Paul is reminding us, God wants to pour his grace into our hearts, and the saints are there to help us as well. He doesn't mention the saints here, but the saints help to uh, you know, obtain graces for us to resist temptation in the moment, too. And so this is, of course, even more important in the context of human sexuality, because human sexuality is something that takes place between persons. So it's not just a single person's will and temptation being, uh, being uh, tested. It's two people who have great affection for one another and, and who are, of course, driven by, by natural human, uh, you know, desires and urges. And so uh, Paul says this is where even more important that couples discuss this together. No, absolutely right. And because that's true, there has to be a, um, a self-mastery or self-discipline, mm-hmm. uh, which the Holy Father also talks about. A complete mastery over themselves and their emotions for if with the aid of reason and of free will they are to control their own natural drives there can be no doubt that all of that all of uh, that at all of the need of self-denial so again self-control self-denial and that's how you build virtue mm-hmm. you know denying some things that may be a good for the sake of a, a, a deeper and richer spirituality and encounter with God. Uh, that's something that's come down to us through the millennia uh, mm-hmm. in, in the life and teaching of the church. Um, you know, uh, that's where we get the idea of, of fasting, you right. know, is right. <laughs> part of all that, that self-denial um, in, where you, in a sense, empty yourself um, and deny yourself things because it helps you to, in, in that hunger or in that thirst, helps you realize that what you're really hungering and thirsting for is, is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. a deep and intimate and personal relationship with God. And so uh, the same thing is true in, in, in this discipline as well as uh, maintaining kind of control, or using our re- again, using our reason with the practical lived experience um, to uh, control those, those urges or desires and make sure that they're being focused in a way that's always um, directing us toward deeper intimacy with the Lord. Yeah, you know, and of course, 
athletes do this all the time too, right? People who are training to do something, something that they consider even more important or more rewarding will deny themselves. As, as you say, we, we practice the arts of fasting. We practice the arts of, of meditation and prayer and silence, whatever it may take, because we are keeping a higher goal in mind. And so the Holy Father here says, you know, self-discipline in this case, self-denial has, uh, as he calls it, a salutary effect. So it's healthy for us. And it enables especially husband and wife to, as he says, develop their personalities and to be enriched with spiritual blessings, um, like, for example, thoughtfulness and loving consideration for one another. Um, it helps us to, as he say, repel inordinate self-love, which is the opposite of charity. This idea of selfishness. I want this. I want to have sexual relations right now because I want to be satisfied. And I don't care about the feelings of my spouse and her emotional state and, and how she's feeling and, you know, all of that. If I've practiced self-denial, I'm going to be more attuned to my partner, to my spouse. I'm going to be attuned to her and her needs and her feelings. And it's going to make those times when we do come together that much more fruitful and joyful and unitive together because we are attentive to one another. Um, and he also says that it helps as when modeling this for our children, um, because as children grow up, by observing their parents, they develop a right sense of values. And as he says, they achieve a serene and harmonious use of their own mental and physical powers. So we do this not just for ourselves, but also because of the values that we are modeling and holding and passing on to our, uh, to our children. Yeah. And that's uh, super important um, because the children need to see the faith being lived and modeled by their parents because the home which uh, John Paul II would call the domestic church or the the church of the home, that's the place where the children first learn to fall in love with Jesus. You know, that's where they learn to have that dynamic relationship with the living God. Um, And and the parents are kind of modeling uh, God for their children, you know, Um, so they can get a sense of the God's love for them through the love of their parents. And so, you know, the things that become important to the parents, some, you know, often become important to the children as well. You know, although sometimes when they're teenagers, you think they all think you're nuts, but, <laughs> but really they're, they're still absorbing and um, imbibing uh, the riches and beauty because they, they go to mass with you, but then they see the faith being lived out at home, you know, and, and they see how the, the husband and wife treat each other, you know, and those are invaluable lessons um, and connections that our young people are making between their faith and their everyday lived experience. So I love that the Holy Father is making that connection um, with the with uh, the children picking up on how the parents are living and then bringing that into their own lives as well as, as they grow up and, and get older and start to live the faith um, in union with, with God on their own when they, when they become adults. I want to ask, uh, because of course you have children and, and Julie and I, uh, don't, but, um, how do you see this in your own kind of relationship? You know, how does this live out there at the Burke Sivers household? Well, the, the, the thing I, I, I would say is that obviously we don't talk about details about our, our intimacy with them, you know, but, sure. but I think in following the church's teaching, it, it fosters, I think a deeper communication between the two of us. 
Mm-hmm. And so we, we're not arguing as much or we're, I mean, well, we still argue. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're a normal married couple. And, and uh, you know, when you got a black guy and an Irish woman there, you got an issues. You know, sometimes you got issues. <laughs> you know, he's stubborn people there, you know. And so sometimes we still get into it. But I mean, but but I think the children see um, the very core of our relationship is a, a deep and abiding love for each other, which flows from a deep and abiding love for God. And I think because we don't use contraception and things like that. I think it, not in a overt way, but I think in a, in very subtle ways because of our communication, I think the kids pick up on that. They enjoy being around us. I think they're more open to to speaking with us about things and, you know, and there's a joy in the home. You yeah. know, there's de- definitely a sense a, a deep not not just like, oh, we're all happy all the time, but but a deep sense of joy and um, enjoying being with each other, you know, without all the technology and stuff like that. I think, uh, but about what a rubber hits the road for me is when the kids leave the house mm-hmm. and they start to live the faith, which, which has started for us. We have, we have two of them that are gone now and just the twins home and, and just to see how the kids are going to be living out their faith in a very real and practical way. Um, when, when they become adults, I think that's going to be the, the biggest sign. Now, obviously, it, it, they make their own choices and decisions once they leave our house. But right. hopefully we've given them enough of a foundation, especially, again, subtly in the way that we live out our, our sexual union together, to be able to give them a good foundation in which they start to build the house of their life with Christ. I think that's such a powerful witness. And uh, do you think that there's any part of that that's also um, kind of informed and, and formed by your diaconate? Yeah, you know the the, the primary uh, sacrament, of course, is marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think the diaconate uh, and the uh, graces and, and charisms that come with that, I think, also empower marriage as well. Because obviously, I talk about marriage and family life a lot when I'm on the road. Sure. And you know, and and, and it's easy to do that because where uh, I'm practicing what I preach. You know? right, so, right. I mean, so all, all the, the, the teaching that I'm doing is coming from very much from our lived experience. And I do use examples from our family in incorporating them into the talks to show people how this, you know, here's some examples of how this can be looked at in very simple ways to make the Eucharist come alive in the home. You know, I, I mm-hmm. think it's a, a, a very powerful witness to the, to the Eucharist, not just something we do on Sunday, but how does Eucharist come alive every single day in your families? And uh, that permeates every aspect of your life as a Catholic. Um, and, and, and I think that's where the Eucharist and the sacraments begin to have power when, when those connections are made and, and lived out with passion and conviction. You've given a perfect preview of where the conversation is going to go from here, because uh, when we gather together next week and pick up the conversation, uh, we're going to hear some uh, kind of specific advice to couples as well as to public authorities. So we'll pick up the conversation there next week. But in the meantime, folks, you can always download previous episodes of the show at livingstonesmedia.org or materdeiradio.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can find us at Livingstones. And on Twitter, we're at Catholic Stones. And until we gather again next week, Deacon, might we have your blessing? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and protect you and your families, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. 
For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.